On Monday, during his weekly press conference, Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield conveyed this message to Sooner fans regarding the upcoming game against TCU. Being at one of the last home games we're going to have, and it's important to our college football uh, playoff run, um, going to call out our fans. It's going to be an important one for us, a 7 o'clock game, night game. Um, I don't want to hear any talk about the 2008 Texas Tech game. This needs to be the new talk for the future. This, this crowd needs to be going. Um, you know, we give it our all week in and week out. I, I expect the fans to do the same for me on Saturday. I absolutely love what Baker Mayfield says here. He identified a trend that has retrospectively been a problem for nearly a decade in this program, and he was very blunt with his thoughts. The Oklahoma fan base has a 2008 Texas Tech problem. I was at that game in 2008. It was undeniably awesome. It was the single most memorable sporting event I have ever been to. The magic of that night simply cannot be recreated. So why is the program desperately tried to do just that? It seems every year there's a home game that brings up comparisons to that particular game nine seasons ago. The stadium's PA system has even tried to recapture the magic of the jump-around moment on numerous occasions, but to no avail. It's certainly understandable that we hang on to that game. For those of us that were there, we're likely to never forget it. Or if you're like me, it's so memorable that you remember the entire day of activities leading up to the game. It speaks to one of the most human emotions we all have. Nostalgia. But that was nine years ago. This is a new team and a new moment. The only memory of 2008 Texas Tech we should bring into this game is the acknowledgement of the power a crowd can have over an opposing team. That was nine years ago. This is now. The crowd needs to do everything in its power to make sure we remember this upcoming Saturday simply as the TCU game. After all, the best player in this program's history has called you out. You up for the challenge? I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. About 46 seconds maybe remaining in the game. If they hit this two-point conversion, Kohlhausen flushed on the run. Lobs it. It's knocked down. I think it was Stephen Parker. Indeed, it was Stephen Parker knocking down the Bram Kohlhausen pass on the TCU two-point attempt back on November 21st, 2015. Parker's big play prevented the Horn Frogs from taking a 31-30 lead over the Sooners with just 51 seconds to play in the game. The play also prevented an OU loss and certainly kept the Sooners' college football playoff hopes alive. Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top of the show. We'll bring him back in one moment. But first, I want to thank... All of you listeners, I want to speak to you for a bit right now. All of you who have been listening since the beginning, a big thank you to you all. All of you who have jumped in as the season has progressed, thank you. For those of you who have taken the time to give the show a rating and write us a review on iTunes, thank you. And for those of you who have not done that, Grant and I would be very grateful if you provide your feedback. Also, if you have not already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. The more people who subscribe, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes. And finally, if you want to contact the show, just email westofeverest at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Lee Benson News 9 and Grant 
at Grant Benson 25 at Grant Benson 25. So now let's welcome Grant back into the fold. Grant, do you have anything that you want to say to our listeners? Yeah, I just want to echo what you said. I just want to say thank you. It's it's very cool that we have people out there listening to us. Um, this is one of these things that I never thought I'd be able to do. Actually, you know, be be able to talk about one of the things that I love the you know the very most in my life, OU football, and actually have people be interested in what I have to say. That's that's uh, that that's that's just a, a very good feeling. I appreciate appreciate it. Please do leave feedback too if you have any thoughts about the show. We 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 would really like some criticism, const- uh, some constructive criticism. Um, if you think we're doing great, uh, keep it up. We like that stuff. If you also think my voice is too whiny, nasally, and grating, let us know. We can work on that as well. Uh, but but overall, I would just like to say thank you, and, and we certainly appreciate your support. Very well said. Let's get to OUTCU, Grant. For the second straight week, the Sooners are playing a de facto college football playoff elimination game. This time, OU gets to play it at home. Last week, of course, Bedlam on the road. And not only is this a home game, it's a primetime matchup for the entire nation to see on Big Fox. And so to start the show, normally I feel like we've discussed the Oklahoma defense against the opposing team's offense quite a bit at the start of the show. But today, for this episode, I think since you talked about Baker Mayfield and your opening take, Grant, we heard him talk about how he wants the fans to come out and... I mean, this is this would be insane if somehow this happens, but he wants it to be even better or or he wants people to forget. No, maybe not forget about Texas Tech, but he wants it to be the new Texas Tech, if you will, from 2008. That would be astonishing. So since Baker Mayfield was a big part of our show to the start, let's talk about the OU offense against the TCU defense. The TCU defense is not only the best defense in the Big 12, it's a defense that's ranked sixth nationally in total defense. In fact, the Frogs have the number one rushing defense in college football. Better than Alabama, better than Georgia, better than Clemson. TCU is only allowing about 70 rushing yards per game. So Grant, is TCU the best defense OU has seen so far this season? Statistically, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, by far, almost just by far. Um, This is going to be a new uh, separate type of challenge for the Sooners. Um, In in terms of talent, uh, talent base, is it the best they face this year? No, they've they've probably faced two defenses better uh, talent-wise, Ohio State and Texas. Um, but, but statistically for sure, in terms of production, this is, uh, this is by far the best defense that, that they're going to be facing so far this year, Lee. Lincoln Riley says TCU will be the most complete team Oklahoma has played up to this point. And he says on Monday during his Monday press conference, Lincoln Riley, that TCU probably has the most experienced secondary in the big 12. So that's saying a lot considering Oklahoma does a lot through the air and going up against an experienced secondary you would think could pose some problems for Oklahoma. Now I think the TCU defense is not clearly the best defense OU has faced this year. I think you had some good points there a moment ago. Statistically. I think right, right. I mean it's, I mean they are statistically, yes. Based on the numbers TCU is the best defense. But I also think Texas has a really nice defense and also of course Ohio State as you said has a really good defense aside from that Iowa game that uh, we saw this past weekend here's the thing though I want to share some stats with the West of Everest listeners that I think are relevant for this OUTCU game and I haven't seen anybody share these stats anywhere else or anybody bring this up because it seems like a big talk or a lot of the talk about this game and granted it's it's been early-ish in the week this podcast comes out on Thursday so it's later in the week but as we're recording it it's still kind of early it's midway through the week and maybe people haven't really dove totally into this matchup 
But here's some relevant TCU defensive stats when the Frogs play against elite offenses. And I, I'd classify Oklahoma as an elite offense. It's number one offense in college football. So here's the thing. TCU has played against three teams that qualify as elite offenses this year, at least in my opinion. And how I'm qualifying that is top top 15, top 10 offenses, total offense. I mean, that's that's pretty elite. That's, that's a team that can move the football. TCU's played three games against those teams. SMU early in the year, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. And in fact, all three of those games came back to back to back. There was a bye week in there as well. Oklahoma, uh, TCU, rather, against SMU in week three, gave up 36 points to SMU, 463 total yards, and was able to force two turnovers. Against Oklahoma State, the second-ranked offense in college football. By the way, SMU, the 10th-ranked offense in college football. How about that? The Ponies moving the football well. Oklahoma State, the second-ranked offense in college football, 31 points against TCU, 499 total yards. Of course, that's, that's lower than Oklahoma State normally gets offensively. But Oklahoma State turned it over four times, so TCU was able to force four Oklahoma State turnovers. And then following the Oklahoma State game, TCU played West Virginia, the seventh-ranked offense in college football. The Mountaineers got 24 points. This was in um, Fort Worth, 24 points, 508 total yards. And West Virginia did turn the ball over two times. So in three games against elite offenses, an average, TCU is giving up 30 points a game, 490 yards per game, 367 passing yards per game, and 122 rush yards per game. So more than 50 average rush yards allowed than TCU's average per year, which is about 70. So and passing yards per game, more than 360 a game. So I guess the point is, Grant, when TCU plays against an offense that's highly touted, highly ranked, the defense has not gotten exposed, but it hasn't been as locked down and elite as the numbers would suggest. That's what I. Uh, th- that's that's the main point of that. Yeah, and and I think the the further we get into this discussion, I'm gonna kind of point out some kind of advanced analytics, statistics stuff that that points to uh, why they would be giving up. A, a lot of yards and uh, you know of the like in games like this um do, do we want to move on from there Lee? i think we have some questions to ask regarding this uh regarding this matchup sure yeah and and i mean can you see this is where you come in with the analytics and, and i'll talk a little bit more about the film later but sure. i mean do you want to talk about the smp the stats of, yeah, of how tcu's defense stacks up in smp because statistically based on the on the general numbers that people normally go with total defense rushing yards per game points allowed per game TCU's defense is one of the best in the country how does TCU's defense look when you look at the S&P rankings that you like to look at Lee TCU's defense is third overall in defensive S&P so actually better than their sixth overall total uh, in total yardage um why why are we using total yardage on on here Lee total yardage doesn't mean anything that's we we don't we, we, we go yards per play, stuff like that. Total yardage is, can be very, very deceiving. Uh, but a, a lot of the times it, it can show you. I mean, it, it, does, it does tell you that TCU is sixth overall in total yardage playing in the Big 12. That is, that's slightly ridiculous. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with them only giving up, what, like five yards of total offense to Kansas when they played a month ago. Um, so oh, yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So, so they, basically are, they basically have an entire game removed of, of total yards because of their matchup with Kansas. That's, that's, that's why a lot of their numbers are inflated. Uh, but anyway, uh, defensive S&P is weighted uh, for opponents, so it is adjusted for your opponent. And TCU's defense is uh, 
statistically S&P wise is absolutely an, an elite unit. They are basically good uh, and in the top 10 in every single defensive category in S&P. Lee, except for one thing, and it's a uh, it's a stat that we've paid very close attention to this entire season, Lee, and that stat is is explosive plays. Lee, TCU's defense is 115th in the country in allowing explosive plays. And uh, and there's about 130 teams. There's about 130 teams. And, and just as a, as, as a reference point, Oklahoma's defense, which is, as we've said in, on this podcast, atrocious, and they give up lots of, lots of big plays. OU is 117th in the country and big plays allowed. So TCU and Oklahoma allow very similar number of big explosive plays. Um, and so I, I think that's really going to be kind of where I'm going to circle the the stats for this game. This is that's that that's the thing you sort of want to pay attention to. So the thing with TCU is they are the second; they're the number two team in the country in defensive efficiency, which means they only give up about thirty about thirty percent of the time is when they're giving up successful plays defensively. That's that's good for number two in the country. Washington is number one in the country at that. So really. The only way that teams move the ball on TCU's defense is with these explosive chunk plays. And going back and looking at the box scores for those three games that you mentioned against those elite offenses, that was basically the tail of the tape. Um, in all, uh, it in all three of those games, the opponent uh, TCU's opponent was held under forty five percent efficiency on offense. They were all of them were held at least ten percent under their season average in efficiency on offense. But they all had. Uh, an above average amount of big plays, and that's how they move the ball. So I, I would expect OU's uh, OU's formula to be very similar going into this game. And also, I did just want to highlight this is uh, in terms of S and P. This is a very very unique game because this game pits the number one S and P rush offense in the country against the number one rush S and P defense in the country. Um, so. Obviously, I mean, you got you have an immovable uh, object meet, meeting an unstoppable force. What happens? This is this is interesting. I'm really really curious to see if OU can run the ball on TCU. So yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of good stats, and the explosive rank stat is huge. You pointed out last week before the Bedlam game that Oklahoma was ranked. What'd you say, 117th, or at that time I think 112th in giving up explosive plays. Yep, it was 112th. Whereas. Oklahoma State was ranked their offense was like top five top th- number three or number two and getting explosive plays or something, something like, that. like that yeah and what did Oklahoma give up against Oklahoma State you, would you say like I think it was eight plays of 30 yards or more against the Cowboys or something like eight, that yes eight eight thir- uh eight plus yeah I'm sorry there were eight plays of 30 plus yards I had to get that right in my head first so so yeah so so that stat we saw before the game and it played out totally in Oklahoma State's favor it played out exactly how it looked on paper in that Bedlam game of course Oklahoma's offense is is elite as well and they had a ton of big plays against Oklahoma State's defense so if that stat plays out again it would it would make it seem like Oklahoma has a chance to make a lot of big plays against this TCU defense despite the Horned Frogs being ranked so highly and that's why I wanted to point out though those three games against elite offenses by TCU because even though you said that total yards is kind of a misleading stat I I mean yeah, it can be, but the fact if if you dive in and look closer, it's not as misleading. Misleading. I mean, West Virginia put up 500 plus yards of offense against TCU in Fort Worth. Oklahoma State put up nearly 500 with the ball in their hands for only 20 minutes. So that shows you that Oklahoma State was able to hit a lot of big plays 
it was just it those two games Oklahoma State and West Virginia they could have easily been TCU losses what it came down to is what we'll talk about I'm sure a little bit more in this podcast is turnovers turnovers were the huge difference in the Oklahoma State TCU game and the two turnovers that West Virginia had against TCU could have decided the game from what I remember watching that West Virginia TCU game because that was only a one touchdown spread uh, difference it was 31 to 24 the final score and TCU scored I believe on the two turnovers that West Virginia had so yeah keeping I'm, uh, the ball away from TCU's defense is going to be pivotal for Oklahoma in this upcoming game I'm looking at the box score the the TCU West Virginia game yeah it, it was a game that that really favored West Virginia and a lot of kind of the five factor uh, box score type type stats uh, success rate favored West Virginia 42% to 38%. Uh, so West Virginia actually had a lot of success against TCU's offense um, defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just looking at their, the turnover margin, and it was just it was it was West Virginia. I mean, they got they they were absolutely destroyed in the turnover margin minus two, and they were both huge. So uh, I mean, here's where I do want to say though, where it's a little misleading. West Virginia did against TCU had over 500 yards of offense but they they really they only average 5.9 yards per play and not that that's bad that's that's I mean that's actually okay it's it's not very good it's not really good it's just it's just kind of okay um so really on a per play basis TCU wasn't getting shredded and that's what they've done all season long that's their mo um they're they're second in the country in defensive efficiency, which uh, which I already mentioned, and they're 115th in big plays. What what does that tell me, Lee? It tells me that TCU is extremely aggressive. That means they want to, especially against the run. And if they're first in defensive S and P, that means they're they're being very aggressive in early downs, trying to create negative plays, getting you in uh, uh, in third and long situations. Um, and sometimes when you do that, you give up big plays, and that's really the only you know the only way people have been able to score on TCU this year. So I, I'm just I'm knowing that I, I'm assuming going back that's that's something that Lincoln Riley and the offensive staff are going to see on film how aggressive they are, and you know Oklahoma has are, is going to have some wrinkles to combat that. I'm just I, I'm really curious. This is this is a really good TCU defense. I, I think people are are maybe s- sort of underrating it a little bit. Um, just because, you know, really, who knows? Just because maybe it is just a Big 12 defense. But this is a very good unit. You know it's going to be a well-coached unit. It's going to be an aggressive unit. And so when you put all of the things together, you never know. TCU might come out and play really well. The Sooners don't don't expect 62 yards or 62 points and almost 800 yards of offense again this uh, again this week. That's that's pretty much what I'm saying. It's it's going to be a lot more of a struggle this week to to move the ball in all likelihood. Just to close the book on this um, TCU-West Virginia game, I got my notes out, and I took a bunch of notes on that game, and that that happened back in week six. And just uh, here was my final note on the TCU-West Virginia game after watching it. I, I wrote, the Frogs played a perfect game and still was fortunate to win at home. I still don't think TCU is particularly a great team, but the Frogs are coached well, and they know what they are on both sides of the football. Each unit plays with supreme confidence five weeks later and I still pretty much stand by that I don't think TCU is particularly a great team maybe based on this season standards TCU is a great team but the Frogs are really just coached so well and similar to Iowa State TCU does not beat itself and except for ironically I know TCU turned the ball over a few times against Iowa State in Ames and that that led to that (laughs) a, a loss in that game so um 
how about this, Grant? You mentioned the uh, the run defense versus Oklahoma's rushing attack. Yeah. So, I mean, is what do you think? Is Oklahoma going to be able to run the ball against TCU? Um, I I, I think they can. I, I I'm not I'm not I'm not necessarily sure if I'm willing to throw out there. They absolutely will. Um, I've seen way too many really good Oklahoma offenses be kind of shut down um, in one aspect of the game by a TCU defense. I already thinking all the way back to 2008. Uh, OU had had one of the best run games in the country that year, if I remember correctly. I, I think I think TCU almost held them uh, under, uh, you know, to negative yards rushing in that game. If I so I I know a Gary Patterson defense, they're going to choose what part of the game they want to take away. And I think they're going to have some success with that. However, I, I've said it numerous times, this offensive line is a better run-blocking offensive line than it is pass-blocking offensive line. Um, this offensive line has the potential to dominate, physically dominate anybody they go up against, you know, save you know, a handful of teams in the country up front. And physically, I think they can dominate TCU's offensive line. Um but I, I'm always going to be worried about Gary Patterson scheming to stopping the run because I do think that's going to be their number one priority is stopping the run. And as, as you can see, just looking at their numbers, that's been their number one priority throughout the entire season. They're okay stopping the run, getting negative plays on first and second down, and giving up the occasional big play um, if you know if they stop you 70% of the time, which is what they're doing. Yeah, Grant, I don't anticipate Oklahoma being able to run the football very well in this game. And I, it's just it's I anticipate this to be a Baker Mayfield game. If Oklahoma is going to win, I mean, that's not that's not going out on a limb. If Oklahoma most of the time when Oklahoma wins, it's a Baker Mayfield game. But just watching, let's say, TCU against West Virginia, watching TCU last week against Texas, they're very susceptible, even with that veteran secondary they're susceptible to those big plays. And even against Texas, they gave up a couple of big pass plays. And the Longhorns offense with Shane Bouchelle playing, he actually didn't play that poorly against TCU, but I don't know if, if Ellinger would have been a better matchup for TCU or what, but that offense is still just not very good. It's just not a very good offense. It's very East and West. They don't like to stretch the field a whole lot. And against TCU, you can't go East and West. At least Texas couldn't go East and West. I think you got to try to attack them up the seams and down the field, which Oklahoma is incredibly cap- capable of doing, and they can absolutely they can absolutely do that. Like exactly, and and that's and the only I, th- I guess I say at the very beginning, I don't anticipate Oklahoma being able to run the ball very well. If Oklahoma is able to stretch the field and open it up with pass plays, then at that point, I think they'll open up TCU because they'll get TCU off balance and they won't know what's coming at them, and then it'll be exactly what Oklahoma's looking for. So I think that's the only way Oklahoma will be able to run the football. I think is if they start to get TCU guessing a lot more and trying to load up more against the pass, and then it'll open up more lanes for running backs like Trey Sermon and, and Rodney Anderson and Abdul Adams and company. I, I start thinking, Lee, I really think that that counterplay that OU really likes with the, with the two pulling offensive linemen, I think that could be a really effective play in this game just to take advantage, uh, maybe to counteract the TCU aggressiveness. Um, that's that's a play we actually didn't see a whole lot in the Oklahoma State game. That's kind of their that's kind of their bread and butter of their running game. Didn't see it a whole lot um, in Stillwater last week. I'm curious to see if we're going to see more of it this time around. This is an OU team that I think they're going to come out and they they they're still going to try to run the ball. They absolutely will because that's 
we we like to talk about this offense being unstoppable. It actually truly is unstoppable if you can establish the run, a, a consistent run game. Um, and so I, I think, you know, from here on out, that's always going to be kind of their recipe. They're always going to try to get the run game going first. So I, I think I think we're going to see very early on whether or not they're having success in it. And it and hopefully it's something that they that they stick with because even if you're not getting chunk yardage right from the beginning, um, especially with OU's big bodies up front, they start to lean on you and they start to wear you down as the, as the game goes on. Um, TCU is is usually known for having a pretty small front, Lee. So so that could be a, a factor later on in the game. Maybe seeing Trey Sermon in there, a fresh Trey Sermon against a TCU defense that has faced you know sixty five or seventy plays up to that point. So what does TCU look like on film? What does the Horn Frogs defense look like on film? Well, watching the TCU Texas game, what I noticed a lot from TCU, it seemed like the Horn Frogs played a lot of cover two and a lot of two man. And what this does is it challenges the TCU cornerbacks to make plays and forces the safeties to play disciplined football, which, of course, TCU is very capable of doing. Throughout that game, if you watched on TV, the color commentator on the TV broadcast continually talked about how TCU's secondary and linebackers are always communicating to each other before the play. And you could see a lot of heads moving around and, and arm movements and a lot of communication before each play. And I'm assuming that's just so everyone makes sure they're on the same page and that there's not going to be any breakdowns in coverage. However, though, in that game based on the cover two and two-man look, every time Texas tried to stretch the field, for the most part it was successful until late in the game whenever TCU kind of knew they would do that, knew the Longers would do that, and they would have a guy there. So and as far as, let's say, you know, you think, oh, TCU's got a great defense. What do they do? Do they Are they aggressive? Do they blitz a lot? Do they bring a lot of, a lot of guys every time? Well, against Texas, no, they didn't. I mean, TCU mixed up a lot of zone and man coverage quite a bit. Sometimes they would be in man grant without even blitzing anybody. They would just go straight man and have four guys rush the quarterback. And that's something that it's kind of rare. You don't see that a whole lot these days. It's almost like basketball. You know, just play man coverage, man, man defense. There was really no rhyme or reason to when they would go zone or when they would go man that I was seeing. I, I noticed they would do two man on, on third and long sometimes. But third and long with Oklahoma, if they go two man against OU on third and long, Oklahoma could really exploit that. Something that I think could really help Oklahoma or really uh, benefit the Sooners in this game. And we've seen Oklahoma do it a couple times this year, a few times, and and they've utilized their talented running backs. TCU wants to run man defense, wants to go two-man. Run out Rodney Anderson, Trey Sermon, Abdul Adams out of the backfield on a wheel route and one-on-one with a linebacker. That's money in the bank right there. Baker Mayfield, swing pass, running back against a linebacker with no safety help or maybe one safety, that could be huge chunk yardage in this game. So look out for that. And I think that Oklahoma could have done that against Texas as well. It just wasn't as successful. The one time they tried to do it in that game, Baker Mayfield got picked off. Yeah, uh, so I, I I generally leave kind of the film to you. And if, if I remember just from watching TCU back in the day, they're, they're, not, a, they're not incredibly aggressive in, in the form of a blitzing defense. They've never been a huge blitzing defense. They're more aggressive in just what they do up front with their defensive linemen with stunts. Their linebackers attack gaps very aggressively. So that's what I, that's what I mean about them being aggressively. That's what a Gary Patterson defense has always been. They're very aggressive with their gaps. They're not afraid to, uh, to move the defensive linemen around, stunt, and do a bunch of creative things with them um so so that's what you're going to see from the tcu and, and obviously just a, a lot undersized fast linebackers guys that they have that they've converted from being safeties um just pretty typical gary patterson playbook 
So basically, here's and we didn't really get into Texas's defense. I wanted to kind of compare Texas and TCU's defense because I think that's, aside from Ohio State, the two best defenses Oklahoma will have seen. If you want to compare the two, I think it depends on what you're looking for. Texas's defense is much more aggressive than TCU's defense, but TCU's defense is more disciplined and is a sure tackling bunch. They don't miss a whole lot of tackles. So before we move on to the Oklahoma defense against the TCU offense, I just... My main key to this game, Grant, is two things. One, time of possession. TCU is going to want to keep Oklahoma's offense off the field. So I guess that might, that kind of goes more into the OU defense versus TCU offense thing. But that's something that TCU will want to do because it worked very well against Oklahoma State. TCU had the football for about 38 minutes in that game. And two, simply turnovers. Oklahoma can't turn the ball over because TCU, again, going back to that West Virginia game and that Oklahoma State game, those are two games where if TCU was not able to force any turnovers in those games, I don't know if TCU wins. So if Oklahoma doesn't give the football to TCU, the Sooners have a fantastic chance of moving the football and scoring a lot of points against this TCU defense, I think. Yeah, and I'll I'll echo that too, Lee. Um, and obviously, when you're when you're talking about a game between two top ten teams, turnovers are always going to be a huge deal. Um, going into big games like this, me personally, I always worry about fumbles because they're random. You can do nothing about them. Recovering them is completely random. So I always worry about stuff like that. Um, interceptions generally, I'm not too worried. Uh, Baker gave me some pause last week. He threw two really bad interceptions. Let's just hope that is an anomaly, not a trend. Um, one thing I want I want people to be watching early on in the game is how efficient Oklahoma's offense is. Now, o- OU is is by far uh, the most efficient offense in the country. Um, they are. Let me let me look this up here. Uh, they have a 55.2% success rate. That's astronomical. That means they have a successful play over half of the time. Uh, no one else does that. They're eighth in the country in explosive plays. What does that mean? It means Oklahoma can score in a lot of different ways. It means they can score on you really quickly in two or three plays or in one play, as we saw a couple times last week. Or it means they can even drive the field on you and score in 12 or 13 plays because they're so efficient. I want to see early on where the OU offense is. Are they in third and long or are they in second and short? If they're in second and short and they're picking up four or five yards a pop on first down to start the game, that's a really good indi- indication that TCU has probably not been able to physically assert themselves against OU. And OU's offensive line is is, is probably just a little too physical for, for TCU's defense. So that's what I want to look at first. If OU is constantly behind the chains, if they're in third and long, and if, they're, if they are just living on these big plays... That'll mean that TCU kind of has OU right where they want them. They're kind of they're they have them right into what their game plan has been all season long on offense. And you brought up time of possession. We've seen this year, Lee, that OU is cer- they're they're certainly capable of slowing it down and going on long drives. In fact, it, it seems like they've they've almost made a point of doing that this year. They haven't really moved at a lightning fast pace. I believe I read a, an article last week before Bedlam saying. In terms of a, of adjusted tempo, OU is is not even in the top half of Power Five teams in, in terms of how fast they go. They so they the Sooners' offense does slow it down. They are capable of doing that if they feel like they need to give the defense a break. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a really interesting game. This TCU defense has has got me slightly concerned. Um, just because I, I, they are able to stop the run without committing extra defenders into the box. And it, it's just a Gary Patterson defense, and you know it's a veteran fast bunch. Um, 
if there's, I, I feel like if there's one defense that can give the Sooners problem, it would be a Gary Patterson defense. So I, I'm certainly interested to see how this is going to turn out. You say that, but it's also worth mentioning that, yeah, Gary Patterson's a great coach, but Oklahoma still was able to put up, what, I think 50 last year in Fort Worth? Yeah. 40 or 50. Yeah, against, against a lot before, of the same players on defense. In too. Norman, and in, in the year before in Norman, they oh you put up 30 but baker mayfield didn't even play in the second half yeah they put up so yeah and they, they put up 23 points and and over 300 yards of offense in the first half when baker mayfield played so so mayfield has has done pretty well against the gary patterson led defense but this one this year uh could be different this is the the best tcu's defense has looked since baker mayfield has been with oklahoma i'm just happy this game is in norman and I'm happy that Baker Mayfield plays for Oklahoma. Yeah, very happy the game's in Norman. That's that's a huge deal. All right, let's talk TCU offense and OU defense. And it's a matchup where Oklahoma defense, we all know, is not good. A couple notes on from a Lincoln Riley's press conference. Khalil Houghton has been ruled out, so the secondary takes a hit. And also, Will Johnson will miss the first half, Grant, because of that targeting penalty against Oklahoma State. So that's... Not good, at least for the first half. That means we'll see a lot of Robert Barnes getting some playing time in the first half, definitely, at, at free safety. Good news, though, Neville Gallimore is supposed to play. So Oklahoma's going to get a little more beef back into their defensive line, which it's never a bad thing to get more big dudes up front. So it'll be nice to see Gallimore back in the mix. Hopefully he's back to 100% healthy and he's nice and fresh. Grant, what scares you the most about TCU's offense from what you've seen from the Horn Frogs? I mean, it's... Lee, this is going to be the same for every team that the Sooners play. It's it, I'm scared of TCU being able to just bomb away on OU secondary. I mean, that's that's what I'm concerned about. <laughs> it's I, I don't I, I think that's uh, I think that's that's fairly reasonable after what we've seen the past month from OU's defense. Yeah, I, and here's the thing. So speaking of the secondary, we mentioned Will Johnson's going to miss the first half because he was ejected because of the targeting, and Khalil Houghton is out. Lincoln Riley mentioned in his press conference that in regards to the secondary, there's a lot of positions up for grabs right now, and if the freshmen keep playing well, they'll get opportunities. Trey Norwood, I guess, led Oklahoma in tackles against Bedlam. I didn't look at the, the stats before we went on and talked Bedlam last week, but Trey Norwood, and, and, and if you listen to the last podcast for Monday, I praised Trey Norwood. He played very well in Bedlam. There was maybe only one play, possibly two, where I thought, nah, that wasn't great. Trey Norwood played well. I expect... Trey Norwood to start on Saturday I'm not sure where he will start if I had to guess I would say he will start instead of Jordan Thomas because I'm not sure if Jordan Thomas is healthy I don't know if Jordan Thomas will be ready to play he's questionable for what I understand aside from Trey Norwood I would expect it to be Parnell Motley as well and maybe and Trey Brown will probably get some chances to play in this game I am just I'm super intrigued by what a a fresh new look Oklahoma secondary could look like in this game grant and even though there's no there's no real reason to think that all of a sudden Oklahoma's defensive backs will get get to be great and it'll look like they played against Ohio State back in week two but at least there's something that's different and it could be a terrible difference but it also could be a good difference we just don't know yet so that makes me think that there could be some positives and it's, it's also kind of nice that Kenny Hill and the 
And Sonny Cumbie and the TCU offense doesn't really have a whole lot of tape on Trey Norwood, doesn't have a whole lot of tape on Trey Brown if Trey Brown's able to play. So that could be a bit of a positive for Oklahoma. Could be, for sure. Also, I'm gonna if, if, if we want to get into spinning, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, those... The, the young guys, Barnes, Norwood, Brown, they had a hell of a trial by, uh, trial by fire last week, just throwing right into the fire in the second half against that offense and those NFL receivers. And they're not going to see the same thing this weekend against TCU. Um, so I, I – and, and also, you know – That's a good point. And, I'm, and, I'm glad you brought that yeah, up. And also be, they're be, at home. They're at home and they're not at a – you know, in a, in a crazy environment with, with all of that pressure on them. So – uh, and obviously, I, I mean, it's 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 always exciting to watch younger players play. So I, I, I'm excited just for that. I'm glad you brought that up as far as last week because going back briefly to the TCU defense, I'm I'm feeling positive about Oklahoma's chances in this game against that TCU defense because TCU's defense hasn't faced an offense anywhere near as good as Oklahoma's offense since they played West Virginia, and that was about five weeks ago. TCU's faced a lot of rudimentary offenses, Texas, Kansas State, Kansas. I even Iowa State's Iowa offense State. is, is nothing special. Probably probably the four the four worst offenses in the Big Twelve they've played the last four weeks, I would I'd say. So in, in my mind, I think, well, even though TCU is going to be certainly prepared for Oklahoma, how prepared can they be without having actually seen it in action on the field? So that's something to look out for too. On the flip side, you brought it up. Oklahoma just faced the, the, the best offense in college football aside from themselves. So basically to Oklahoma, the Sooners just faced the best offense in college football. And so the Sooners are coming off seeing that kind of offense. TCU's offense is good. It's not elite. Um, Kenny Hill, though, has been playing extremely well. His accuracy can be really good when he has time to throw. He's pretty good at pulling it down and running when he needs to, and they will give him some design quarterback runs as well this is the best he's played in his career no doubt about it and it certainly shows you what kind of of coaches Sonny Cumbie and, and Greg Patterson can be that they've developed him in, into a much better player than he was when he played at Texas A&M so I think if I could mention a guy that scares me the most and I, it's weird for me to say this because I wasn't very high on Kenny Hill two years ago I'd say Kenny Hill is the one that scares me the most and I guess that kind of goes into more of what you were saying a moment ago about how Kenny Hill can just bomb away on the Oklahoma secondary because he's certainly capable of doing that. I find it kind of funny you you think it's it's Kenny Hill. I, Kenny Hill would maybe be my my third or my third or fourth fourth choice about who I'm most scared of um, ahead of him. The person I'm by far the most scared of on their offense is Cavante Turpin. I mean, it's not even close. Um, I, I'm just I'm having nightmares of him easily getting getting behind the secondary. Um, after that, I, I'm probably more concerned about the true freshman Jalen Rager than I would be about Kenny Hill. Same deal, just him getting behind the secondary. The guy averages, I'm more concerned about the TCU running backs than any of their wide receivers. Yeah, and I was by far sure, and I and I was you know I was about to to mention Darius Anderson and Kyle Hicks, also guys that I'm that I'm worried about. Uh, yeah, this is pretty much every offense you know sans Kansas next week that the Sooners play the rest of the week. They're they're going to have the the advantage against OU's defense. Just Period. There's really no other analysis to put there. However, I mean, there there are some there are some some numbers that I'm looking at here where I look at them and I think to myself, okay, maybe you know, OU can have some success here, and it comes down to the same thing we've been saying the last month and a half, Lee. If if, if OU can limit the explosive plays, if they can if they can just cut them in half, they they're just going to look so much better. And I've said it the entire season. 
no team is really just is lining up against OU's defense and just marching downfield and being really efficient. It's it's all it's all big plays. They're the Sooners are are 52nd in the country in success rate on defense. They're only giving up a successful play 40% of the time. Uh, that's not that's not great. That's not good. That's but it's it's okay. It's not bad. It's not um, it, it's not as bad as as there's no as their numbers would suggest on defense. And it's just because of those big plays. And so when I look at TCU's offense, Lee, I, I see a, an offense that is just they're 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 okay. It's 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 a decent offense. They're they're forty third in, in offensive S and P. Um, they are thirty fifth in efficiency. They have a, a successful play forty four point eight percent of the time. They are not particularly explosive. They're fifty third in the country explosiveness. So it's just kind of right in the middle of the pack. They're not they're not good at it. They're not bad at it. They're okay at it at being explosive. Um, and so when I couple that with the Sooners, you know, success rate of uh, 52nd of, four, of the 40% success rate, I see maybe a bit of an opening where, oh, you can have some success here. And it all starts with them limiting those big plays downfield, force TCU to drive the field on you. And I think if you do that, you're, you're going to have some success. You're not going to completely shut them down, but you're going to get the stops necessary for you to get the ball back to Baker Mayfield couple film study tidbits from TCU's offense. TCU, from time to time, will like to use tempo. They usually just call simple RPOs out of the the tempo, a lot of short passes east and west, and then, as you would expect, they try to eventually get somebody to bite on one of those quick little screen passes and then hit somebody downfield. I saw that a handful of times against Texas. Also... TCU uses a little bit of a wildcat as well. At least they did against Texas on fourth down and two against Texas. They use it a little bit with the running, the one of the running backs, Alana Lua, and it was successful and it went on to, to be a touchdown drive. But aside from that one time, TCU didn't really use a wildcat. So I don't expect a whole lot of wildcat from TCU in this game. And I'm going to be curious to see, I mean, they're going to use, they're going to throw tempo in there here and there. But as I mentioned before, TCU is going to try to, to run the ball a lot and run down the clock and keep the ball away from Oklahoma. I just I'm sure of it because that's what worked against Oklahoma State so well. And of of course forcing turnovers against the Cowboys worked very well too. So look for TCU to run a pretty standard offense, run a little bit of tempo, and um ask Kenny Hill to to make a couple throws, but really for the most part not ask him to do a whole lot. Yeah, I'm 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 really interested to see how how they run the ball and what TCU's game plan is going to be. I honestly expect TCU to come out throwing. I, I really think they're going to come out and throw. Um, last week in Bedlam, Justice Hill, that was really the first time, other than just that that first quarter against Texas Tech, that OU has been kind of ripped up on the ground this year. And of course, I guess the first half of the Kansas State game. But other than that, OU uh, outside of those. You know those five quarters that I just mentioned. OU has actually been really solid against the run this year. Um, so I, I, I'm curious to see one just how OU schemes in that department. Are they going to have uh, six or seven guys in the box? Are they going to dare TCU to throw? Uh, we'll see. It's interesting. And also, Lee, I do want to bring this up because I, I I came across a stat earlier today and I was furiously typing trying to find it as you were talking about Kenny Hill. Um, but I, I did see a, a, an interesting stat earlier today. And Kenny Hill, Lee, I, I just want to bring up some stats on him. The last two games, Kenny Hill, and this is a hat tip to uh, to Blinken Riley on Twitter. Uh, he wrote up kind of a, a pregame write-up hat hat tip to him. Uh, Kenny Hill, the last two games, Lee, has only th- this, this is the last two games total, has only thrown for 281 yards. 
He has zero touchdowns, and he's thrown two picks. That is 5.5 yards in attempt and uh, 3.7 yards, I think, route run, something like that. Those are those are very bad. Those are very bad numbers. And also, I do want to point out, Lee, Kenny Hill has very, very radical home road splits. Lee, this season, Kenny Hill at home has thrown for 1,183 yards with 14 touchdowns and one pick. On the road, he's only thrown for 826 yards, one touchdown, four picks. Well, the perfect medicine for that is the Oklahoma secondary. Exactly what I was thinking, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Grant. Um, lastly, uh, one more quick stat that I put out on Twitter on uh, Tuesday night. I actually got a little bit of play that uh, I didn't think it would be that big of a deal, but I, I found it interesting. In the last four games, Grant, Oklahoma's defense has only allowed an average of 12 points per game in the second half. And two of those four teams were Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, which are top 10 offenses in college football. So after halftime, technically for the last month, the Sooners defense has played pretty well. Eyeball test, eh, I guess. But statistically, that's actually not bad numbers. So something to to get you a little more hopeful going into this OU-TCU game. Grant, what do you think is going to happen in this game? What's your prediction? Um, I, I think it's going to be a wild, crazy game. Uh, probably a, a one possession game. Uh, I, I think OU is going to win. I, I do kind of have a weird feeling about this game. This is a game that, um, and just just a uh, just a contrast that I had a, I had a pretty good feeling going into Bedlam last week. Um, I have a weird feeling about this game. I think it could go either way. This is a game that that the Sooners absolutely could lose. This is a really good TCU team. Um, it's just uh, teams like this discipline teams that that tackle well and. Um, keep things in front of them, and I know TCU has struggled with those big plays. They, they just kind of they kind of scare me, and especially when you throw out a top ten defense, um, it, it it's certainly a, a little alarming. I, I just I thank goodness this game is is in Norman, Oklahoma. I mean this is this is a, a huge game to have at home, and I'm I'm very glad that they got lucky with that. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be a wild game. I think they might surprise us this time. I think this game might be more defensive, uh, more of a defensive struggle than than we're used to. At least I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they serve us up a uh, you know a surprise. Just to say a surprise one more time, surprise. So who's going to win? Did you pick a winner? I picked a winner. Are you, are you abstaining? I picked a winner. I, th- I said I think OU is going to win, but I'm I'm no okay. I'm not I'm nowhere near as confident this week as I was last week. Well, last week at this time, I refused to pick a winner because I was too scared to be wrong. And then as the week progressed and we got towards game time, and I, based on where I work, I work at News 9, and everyone's always saying, who are you picking, who are you taking? Because there's so many Oklahoma fans there, and there's so many Oklahoma State fans. And I say fan, I, I should say graduates. There's a lot of people that went to both schools. And so finally, I felt, I, I felt peer pressured into making a pick, and I took OU close to win. So I guess technically I was, even though I wasn't right on this podcast, I did end up taking OU. So I'm not going to... I'm not going to shy away from picking a winner this time around. I think Oklahoma wins this game. I think the Sooners' offense will move the ball well against the Frogs. I will say, though, turnovers are key. I'm going to hedge a little bit like Grant likes to do. I don't, I don't think he hedged much, though, in this one. If TCU turns the Sooners over two times in this game, Grant, I'm very, very worried. I think two turnovers is the key. If Oklahoma turns it over twice, TCU's got a, a really good chance to, to win this football game. But as of now, I don't think OU will turn it over twice. I think Oklahoma's defense actually is going to get some stops, Grant. It's going to be close because it seems like when these two teams play, it's always a close game, at least recently. I'm saying OU wins 38-31. to Just three stops per half. I'm sticking with my mantra. 
Three stops per half would be great. Maybe four, considering TCU's defense is supposedly pretty good. <laughs> S- supposedly. It, it is good. I, I think I think people are going to be surprised by by how many plays TCU's defense makes. It's it's a really prob- probably the best defense TCU has had since they've been in the Big Twelve, statistically at least. Wow, yeah. I mean, I I will say finally, I, I, I shared those three games against elite offenses earlier. And those are three offenses that are not Oklahoma's offense, which is the best offense. Yeah. So, let's, so I, of course, that's why. Like, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma's faced already Texas, who I think, by the way, Texas has had more success this year against elite offenses than TCU has. And Oklahoma fared pretty well against Texas's defense. So something to keep in mind. All right. That's OU TCU. Let's move on to the Big 12 slate, Grant. Kansas is at Texas this week. Who cares? Texas is Te- favored by 34 points. Texas has this game circled, Lee. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Revenge is uh, imminent for the Longhorns and the Jayhawks. I, I don't think they're in much danger of losing this time around. Texas Tech at Baylor. The Red Raiders are 7.5-point road favorites over the Bears. I mean, I don't. I mean, who cares? Whatever, it doesn't matter. I, game, I think Texas Tech's going to win. I, I, it'll probably be close. Texas Tech's starting to play not like great. crap. Yeah, it's, they're they're starting their second half. Cliff Kingsbury swoon that has been kind of, yeah. which sucks. I actually, I I feel like I'm in the minority. I actually kind of like Cliff Kingsbury. Um, I, well, after the Red Raiders played so well to start the year, it looked like their defense was actually pretty good, and the offense is always good. It's like maybe Texas Tech will win eight nine games this year. No, not going to happen. Mm, not going to happen. They're fighting for bowl eligibility. West Virginia at Kansas State. Kansas State, um, speaking of Texas Tech, wasn't it uh, Kansas State? I think beat Texas Tech last week and put up like 45 points, beat them in overtime. Beat them in overtime, yeah. Uh, Kansas, uh, this is this is an interesting line. Kansas State's favored by two and a half. Um, this game does. And West Virginia is coming off of a, a nice win over Iowa State. Yeah, this game really does scream just weird. This feels like a game that Kansas State just really mucks up, and I mean, would anyone be surprised if Kansas State wins this game? I mean, I don't think so. No, I mean, after yeah. they put up forty-five on Texas Tech, I mean, somehow they're able to get points. I mean, I shouldn't say somehow. I mean, Texas or Kansas State, Bill Snyder just figures it out. He figures it out. I mean, oh, I did want to bring this up too, Lee. I, I I did want to to give maybe just a good example of of the team that's in the Big Twelve most similar to TCU's offense, at least statistically. Uh, and that would act, that would actually be Kansas State. TCU is 43rd in offensive S&P. Uh, Kansas State is 46th. So in terms of you know, statistically, uh, expect expect production a lot like Kansas State's offense against against TCU on Saturday. Wanted to add that oh. one more time. TCU a much better quarterback than Kansas State possesses. Obviously, yeah, Kansas Kansas State. You know the guy the, the the guy throwing for Kansas State was a much better runner than Kenny Hill is. So it. I'm not going to say it, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it evens out. Alex Delton is not a good quarterback. So, <laughs> final Big Twelve slates the biggest Big Twelve game aside from OUTCU. Oklahoma State's at Iowa State, six and a half point favorites for the Cowboys. We're not going to pick this game in the picks, so let's go ahead and pick it now, Grant. I think the Cowboys bounce back and get uh, their second road win over a top twenty-five team. I think Oklahoma State's going to score a lot of points against this Iowa State yeah, defense, I, even though Iowa State's defense is really good. Yeah, I, I think we're actually. I, I think I think Oklahoma State's going to going to blow them out. I think they're going to win by three or four touchdowns. 
even though Iowa State is extremely disciplined and does not give up a lot of big plays, which Oklahoma State makes its hay getting big plays. I don't think so. I, I think Oklahoma we'll I think Oklahoma State is is gonna sh- is gonna shut down Iowa State. I don't think I think Iowa State's really gonna struggle to move the ball. We'll find out uh, once and for all if if I'm crazy by saying Oklahoma State's an above average good defense because everyone was ripping on the Cowboys after the Oklahoma game saying that defense stinks. Like no, Oklahoma State's defense is good. good. Oklahoma State's and defense. I, I think we'll see yeah. against Iowa State that it's pretty good. Oklahoma State's defense went from 33rd in S and P before Bedlam, and after that game, Lee, they are now 67th in defensive S and P. That's what ha- that's, I mean, what, that's happens what happens when you against- play OU. That's what happens. And nobody, I mean, only a, only a few teams get to play Oklahoma this year, and they're mostly in the Big Twelve. Ohio State's defense, I'm sure, took a pretty big hit after the Oklahoma game. They took a they took a bigger hit after the Iowa game. They were fifth. Oh, yeah. They were fifth. And now they're twenty fifth. That's stupid. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the most weird games. Anyway, so I mean, I guess speaking of that, let's get into our top ten. Top ten uh, this week, pretty different, I think, from the previous week's Grant. Let's go relatively quick through this. We'll go I'll quick. Start. I don't have a ton. Of, I don't have a ton to say about it. Okay. We'll go quick. We'll start. Uh, my number 10 team is Ohio State. Not dropping the Buckeyes out of the top 10. I, I think Auburn is in the number 10 spot for the college football playoff rankings. Let me just say this. Auburn, from what I've seen on film, is not a top 10 team. I think Ohio State's much better than Auburn. Did you, uh, even though Ohio State looked, looked bad against Iowa. So I'm going to keep put the Buckeyes at 10. Did you hear Joel Klatt on, on Colin Cowherd's daily? He was he was really chirping the, the, the playoff committee about where they put Auburn in the poll. Oh, really? I know I didn't I didn't hear that. Yeah, he thought it was ridiculous that Auburn was in the top 10. Um, he thinks he clearly it's one of those things where if, if I mean, if Auburn takes care of business, you know, hey, they'll they'll be warranted a 10 spot. Sure. But if they lose, they'll get They'll, they'll be knocked back. Sure, down. I, Sorry, I would. Go ahead. I, I, I cut you yeah, off. everyone else, I'd, I'd I'd go through maybe try to watch it. It's about half. It's about an hour and a half into Colin Cowherd's show today, but uh, Joel Klatt sort of has some conspiratorial uh, conspiratorial views on the college football playoff committee. I didn't really take it completely serious, but Joel Klatt is generally good at what he does. Anyway, Lee, my number ten team um, is UCF. That hasn't changed from last week. I think. <laughs> nice. I, I think UCF is a top ten team that no one's talking about. They're not going to get the love just because they're a, they're a group of five team. But they uh, once they stop, like I said last week, once they stop playing at a top ten level, I will stop putting them here. Um, and they haven't done that yet. So UCF's my number ten team. And your number nine team. Washington makes a return to the top ten. Everyone kind of just forgot about Washington um, after losing on the road to Arizona State. That was a bad loss, by the way. Washington has probably the worst loss of all the one-loss teams. And, of course, not a lot of opportunities to make up for it. Um, They're just kind of destroying everybody, and they have the number one defense in the country. So welcome back to my top ten, Washington. All right, uh, number nine for me is Wisconsin. Wisconsin made a brief appearance in the top ten, tied I think a couple weeks ago, then I bumped them back out. I'm tired of it. I'm putting Wisconsin in the top ten at number nine. I got to say, Grant, I think the Badgers had their best win of the season this past week on the road and blowing out Indiana after falling behind 10 nothing. And I only say that because I had Indiana plus 12 and a half and the Hoosiers went up 10 nothing and didn't cover and got blown out. So you know what, Wisconsin – fine you're a top 10 team there you go you're undefeated i'll put you in the top 10 we'll see how you play against iowa and i think you know i think i think wisconsin's probably going to beat iowa rather rather handily yeah uh, so lee my number eight team is wisconsin um 
I, I I think I was the same as you. I had them in once, or maybe I maybe maybe had them as ten B or something like that at one point in time. Uh, but I will welcome them in. I thought their win against Indiana was was impressive on Saturday. They got down ten nothing, and then they outscored them forty five to seven the rest of the game. Listen, Wisconsin's a really good program. They do this kind of every single year. Um, they they always beat the teams they're supposed to beat. People who think that I was going to beat them this week that that would just be that's just not Wisconsin. They they don't lose. They don't lose games against teams that play the same style they do with worse players they just don't uh wisconsin always beats who they're supposed to beat they always lose to who they're supposed to lose to period um and i I, that's going to continue the rest of the season i i do expect them to finish undefeated um unless my gophers can shock them in the the season finale which I, I, it wouldn't surprise me really for the most part. But anyway, uh, Wisconsin's going to be undefeated to that Big Ten championship game where, they'll, where, where they're likely to lose to a team that they're expected to lose to like they always do. All right. My number eight team is Miami. I have the Hurricanes at eight. Uh, this is the first time I saw Miami play much this season, Grant, against Virginia Tech this week. And, of course, it's probably the Canes' best game. I got good and bad news for Miami, Grant. Good news This team is clearly talented. The defense is good. The offense is good. Bad news, though, Grant, is that I can totally see why Miami has struggled to beat bad teams by only a touchdown or so. Uh, Neither Miami nor Virginia Tech played particularly well in that game. Uh, The Canes had three turnovers. Uh, Malik Rozier threw three really bad interceptions, pretty bad picks. And, And Virginia Tech's Josh Jackson wasn't great either. He threw a couple picks as well. Uh, you know, Miami finally got a signature win. So at unbeaten and a top 10 win like that, you got to put them up there in the top 10. But I'm thinking I'm thinking the Canes played their best game of the year. And honestly, Grant, I, they didn't look like an elite team to me. They didn't. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I'll, I'll touch on Miami here in a second. Lee. My number seven team is, is TCU, OU's opponent on Saturday. Um, you know, I, I think TCU is a really good team. Um, they, they really only have one win to hang their hat on. It's a really good win at Oklahoma State. Um, the only reason why I, I don't have them ahead of Miami is, is because of just that record because of the, 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 the one loss in the loss column. Um, TCU has everything ahead of them. They, they're pretty much in the exact same position as Oklahoma is being in, uh, number six in the, in the playoff pool. So TCU, obviously the entire season still ahead of them. My number seven team is it's it's going way against the grain, but uh, I'm trying to stay consistent, intellectually honest. Oklahoma State, number seven. I had them at five last week, and they just got beat by Oklahoma, who is a really good football team. Almost won that game. A couple breaks here and there could have won. Oklahoma State's lost two games to two top ten teams, and it's two games where a couple things go differently. Oklahoma State's undefeated and ranked in probably ranked ahead of Notre Dame, and maybe is right behind Georgia and Alabama as far as the top the top 10 goes so you know what even though Oklahoma State doesn't really have that great awesome win even though I still think West Virginia on the road in pretty much dominating fashion is a good win I think Oklahoma State's the seventh best team in the country and I'm sticking by it at number six is where I have TCU I've moved uh, the Horn Frogs up considerably and I have TCU at number six so who is your number six team Lee my number six team is Miami um, I, I do want to I do want to mention Oklahoma State they're not in my top 10 but I, I thought you gave a pretty good defense of them um I'll, I'll, I'm going to be totally honest. I don't know if I made this clear after after our podcast earlier this week. Oklahoma State scares the bejesus out of me. I don't want to see them again at all. And, and I think every oh no, yeah, I, I, I no, think not at all. I, I, I think I think every OU fan feels exactly the same way um, in a potential Big Twelve championship game. 
I don't want to see that that Oklahoma State team with Mason Rudolph and Aitman and James Washington ever again. I'm so I'm <laughs> so glad they're gone. So just the good players, and this is a this is as as most of a this is a, res, a, a this is a respectful good riddance to them because I never never want to see an OU team play against them ever again. All right, who's your number five team? We got the top five now. Uh, Lee, my number five team is Oklahoma. Um, I. I don't know. I, I I I did wrestle with with where I should if I should put them in the top four. I decided against it, uh, just because of the defense. I, I totally understand it. I mean, their their defense is so bad they can they can lose to any they can beat anybody they can lose to anybody and and I I really mean that. Uh, my number five team is OU as well, and it's it's not because of the defense that they're in the, that they're not in the top four to me it's just it goes to the resumes are incomplete right now I think Clemson has a better resume than Oklahoma even though Oklahoma's got two really good road wins I think Clemson's wins like against like they have like four or five like really solid wins and I know now the season progresses like the Louisville wins not as great at the time that's a really good win yeah. I mean they blew them out Clemson has so I think yeah Clemson hasn't yeah. had a lot of layups this year They've they've had a lot of it, yeah. Tough that's games. a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. So, um, based on that, uh, I, I'll just say this now. My my top four is exactly the same as the college football playoff rankings. Is, is your top four different? Uh, I a little bit. I have Alabama okay, ahead of Georgia. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, so do I. So do I. So yeah. Other than that, it's the same. Just flip number one and two, and um, even though yeah. So I I I'm really not a huge. I, I understand the resume argument, and I'll use it in some of my things. Uh, I, I think Georgia should be number one based off of resume, probably. In fact, I think Notre Dame should probably be ahead of Alabama based off of off of resume. In fact, if we're actually being honest, uh, Oklahoma and Clemson arguably should be ahead of Alabama on resume. But, I mean... It, well, I mean, it, the, the zero next to the loss column yeah, is the, the yeah. key there, obviously. Well, of, of course, but... And the fact that it's Alabama. And if we're talking about... I'm talking about resume, though. It's just a blind resume. Get rid of the name of the team. And I think Alabama... If you did that, I, I would guess the, the committee would probably put Alabama uh, close to where Miami and Wisconsin is, I, I would guess, because they've played very similar schedules. Interesting. In fact, Wisconsin, I would say, has probably played a, a better schedule than Alabama has. Oh, um, I don't know about that. I but, mean, the, the, when, the, the most recent... I mean, the LSU game... Win is better than any wins that Wisconsin has to this date. Not in, not. Then, I mean, not really. I mean, North, Northwestern and LSU are pretty even. I mean, no, they're not. I, no, they're not. Uh, I mean, I I would say I they, I'd it. say they are, but you know, I I can I can certainly look at at S and P right now. Just take the. Oh my well, can't live and die by S and P. Well, I know, but I mean, it's I I, I and I don't, but it's it's I think it's a, a decent uh, metric to use. LSU is 29th in S and P. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, yeah, no, you no, continue. I'll, I'll I'll have the stat for you here in a second. Well, I I had a couple uh couple notes on Notre Dame at number three because okay, so just to be clear, we each have Clemson at four, Notre Dame at three, Georgia at two, Alabama at one. Correct? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I was gonna make some notes on Notre Dame. I I think Notre Dame's really good. I I mean they they racked up seven hundred yards against a pretty good Wake Forest defense. Um, but I'll skip through all these other notes that I have. I, I'm pretty angry that Wake that Wake Forest was able to come back and, and backdoor cover that one, just a sidebar. But how about this, Grant? I noticed this in the uh, Notre Dame-Wake Forest game. I've never seen this before, and I, I want to see more kickers do it. So Notre Dame was attempting a field goal from the left hash. The holder was lined up inside the hash, like two yards inside the hash. And the long snapper snapped the ball diagonally so the kicker doesn't have to kick the ball so far from right to left or left to right. Oh, it was genius. That's really interesting. 
I, I can't believe I've never seen this before. So, like, it was more of, like, a straight-on kick than, like, because you know the hash marks in college are so wide, so it makes those field goals difficult for the kickers. I've never seen that before, and I thought that was brilliant, and it makes sense because Notre Dame's a very smart school, so, of course, it would be Notre Dame kids that figure that out. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's brilliant as long as you got a long snapper who can pull it off. Um, yeah, I guess. But, but to go back to what you were talking about, Lee, uh, Northwestern is is uh, 64th in S&P, um, Wisconsin's best win is over S&P number 24. Lane Kiffin's Florida Atlantic Owls. Yep. Yeah, that is that their best sense. win. And I that's I was just say, I mean, there's no way. I mean, maybe, but I'm going to guess that LSU's probably much better than Florida Atlantic. But you know what? Maybe not. Maybe if they played it would be a good Florida game. Florida Atlantic maybe is high is a higher S&P. Yeah. All right, Grant, that's our top 10. Let's do these picks really quick. I got to get going. We'll go with uh, last week I was four and one. Last week you were two and three. So for the season we are exactly even. We're each thirty three and nineteen for the season. It's kind of in- incredible. That is, yeah. First up, Washington at Stanford. This is a Friday night game. Grant, I will take Washington, and Washington is six point favorites on the road. But I'll still take the Huskies to win. I'll also take Washington. It's the number one defense in the country against a one dimensional offense. Take take the number one defense every time. Alabama is at Mississippi State at 6 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, Alabama is a 14-point favorite. I will take the Crimson Tide because, boy, I mean, Mississippi State struggled with UMass last week. And I know that's kind of a generic take, like, oh, my gosh, they struggled with an FCS team. Um, you know, may, maybe Mississippi State will have some firepower and be able to play well against Alabama, but I'll leave it when I see it. I'll take the Tide. Yeah, I'm going to take Alabama, too. Uh, same logic as the last game. Uh, Mississippi State, they're a one-dimensional team. Um, they're only throwing for about 160 yards a game. That's not going to get it done against an Alabama team. Um, that can just smother you on defense. I'll take Bama. Number 20, Iowa is at number 8, Wisconsin. I guess technically Wisconsin's biggest game of the year up to this point, even though it's a home match, and Iowa just vaulted into the top 25 out of nowhere after destroying Ohio State. I will take the Badgers to win this game and continue their unbeaten season. Iowa is just a totally different team home and away. I will take Wisconsin Lee in perhaps the big tiniest Big Ten game of all time. <laughs> all right, so this could be a fun one. Georgia at Auburn. Georgia only favored by two and a half points. Auburn, luckily for the Tigers, they're at home. And honestly, if since we're Oklahoma supporters, we both should be rooting for Auburn to win this game just because it would free up to know that Georgia and Alabama, if they go undefeated, that only one of those two teams will get in. So that would free up a spot. So it would be nice if Auburn won this game, but I can't pick Auburn, Grant. I don't think Auburn's a top-10 team. I think they, their offense is very east and west and not very north and south. And Georgia's defense is just too good. Get this, Grant. Georgia and South Carolina. By the way, South Carolina is not bad. South Carolina could pose a problem for Clemson at the at the end of the season in the last game. I'm pretty sure that game is at South Carolina. Yeah, I so agree. Let's watch for that. South Carolina was actually surprisingly good. Get this, though. In the second half of that game, talk about the big tiniest of Big Ten games. This was the SEC-iest of the SEC games. South Carolina only had the ball four times in the second half. Insane. Georgia had it five times. Yeah, that's it. There was nine total possessions the entire second half between the two teams. South Carolina's possessions, field goal, punt, turnover on downs, interception that basically ended the game. Yeah, Lee. So I I think this is a really interesting game. I I think I think Auburn is is going to struggle to move the ball for the most part. I I totally agree with what you said there. They are very east and west. Uh, Jared Sidham this year has been really inconsistent. Uh, On the flip side, Auburn's defense is fantastic. It's it's really good. It keeps them in games. Um 
and I, I'm still just really interested to see if, if we're going to see before you know a playoff scenario, before an SEC championship scenario, just how, how Georgia reacts when they have to throw the ball because they haven't really had to do it yet this year. And a true freshman on the road, a guy who, who throws the ball less than 10 times a game, I, I just I, – I, I'm going to be skeptical about Georgia until we see something like that because they're not going to just be able to pound away at everyone they play. This Auburn defense is going to be – this is the best defense they've faced this, this season by far um, up to this point. I, I'm really, really interested to see. Uh, um, yes, it is. It is. Notre Dame, it is better. Notre Dame's it's defense is better. statistically quite a bit better than Notre Dame's. Notre Dame's a be- got a better defense. Notre Dame's played a lot better teams too uh, against the Auburn is than what Auburn Auburn fifth. Auburn gave up a lot of points to LSU. Auburn fifth. LSU's offense is not very good. Notre Dame's got a better defense than they gave, Notre Dame is is a pretty darn complete team. Auburn gave up gave up 27 points to LSU. LSU. Only had 358 yards of offense in that game, and they had a 38 percent success rate. They didn't did not have a good offensive game. I mean, it's it's not like Georgia dominated. No, I mean Georgia still barely beat Notre yeah. Dame. Uh, but I'd, I'd say Notre Dame's got a better. But it's point taken. Auburn's got a good defense. Uh, I I think Jake Fromm. I think we could look in, in a couple years from now and think think back to now. I think this guy could turn out to be really good. So even though he's a freshman, I he looks like a real player. When sure, he's maybe asked for the football, but he's not. But they don't ask him to do it very often. And so what? How? How is he going to play when the other team knows he's going to be throwing? You you know he doesn't go through his progressions. You know he stares down one guy. So it's I, I'm just interested. And by the, and, okay. and Auburn fifth in S and P defense, Notre Dame's twenty fifth. Take take that for what you will. It's it's a reasonable argument. I, I suppose to argue that Notre Dame has. So who'd you take in this one? You take Georgia I, or Auburn? I'm gonna take Georgia. I'm gonna take Georgia just because I think Georgia's defense actually is very good. Um, I, I don't think Auburn's gonna be able to put together enough consistent drives. This is gonna be a close game. This is this is gonna be a low scoring close game. I'll take Georgia by by a field goal. And finally, the game of the the week aside from OU TCU Notre Dame at Miami. The Irish are three point favorite on the road. I'm tempted to take Miami because I. Uh, I actually picked Miami last week on the podcast, but then when it came to making picks, I actually laid the points and took Vatek. So I kind of disrespected Miami as a home dog, and they made me look bad. So I'm thinking, uh, should I do it two weeks in a row? I'm going to. I'm taking Notre Dame, even though Miami is wants to get a home dog in a big game. I think the Irish are just a, a much better team than Miami. Uh, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Miami. Lee. I think Miami's going. Um, I. I, I, listen, okay. I think I, I think I think Miami's a year away. I, they're really young. That's why they're so inconsistent. They're really talented. They're young. Um, hey, I, I I think athletically they're probably better than Notre Dame. Um, and so at home and just and just a special moment at Miami. I, I'm going to take Miami. I, I think Notre Dame's a, is a one dimensional team on offense. Uh, how how will they react to their run game not ripping off you know 15 20 yard carries? you know every other play uh, let's I, i'm just they, and they are one-dimensional brandon wimbush barely completes 50 percent of his passes yeah that i think that narrative is a bit oversold i don't think they're as one-dimensional as people say notre dame is and i i watched that wake game they did they did it everywhere running the ball passing the ball uh so i think the the narrative that notre dame's one-dimensional is not a hundred percent 44th s&p passing that's not great they're second rushing i mean they have a great rushing team i mean that's but they're, they're, I, I wouldn't say they are a good passing team. At best, they are average throwing the football. All right, Grant, that's our show. We'll be back Monday with reaction from OUTCU. Will the Sooners add another huge W 
to their resume and keep their playoff hopes alive? Well, we'll find out Saturday night. Until next week, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.